0: Just like the first disciples, Teach Us to Pray should be eagerly and always on the lips of every follower of Jesus. I'm Luke Heisler. This is the Teach Us to Pray podcast. I've been taking another look at the ways I was taught to pray over the past year and a half or so. I'm wanting to continue and deepen that journey for myself and provide a kind of roadmap for others on the way. And so, this is a limited exploration through Christian prayer where we'll take a look at the different marks of a prayerful life, talking with some friends about what it means to pray until we become prayer. In these conversations, we'll be trying to break prayer down to its most basic form, communion of the mind with God, learning together how to become people marked by the presence of God in both the secret place and the public square. Thanks for listening. Let's dive in. hey welcome back to the podcast this week we are having a conversation that has not had a lot um we're talking about unanswered prayer and lament um and it's a heavy one uh, i'm not gonna lie um my guest this week is dr chuck fuller um last week i had on dr butler this week is dr fuller um they're both professors here at um, anderson university where i go to school and um similarly to last week, uh, this conversation was just chock full of, um, just brilliant, brilliant insights and, um, was, was very helpful and was very practical and was really helpful to me personally. Um, and was honestly like, despite the subject matter, um, just a fun conversation to have as have all of these been. So, um, Yeah, Dr. Fuller is, he's the director of our honors program here, um, and a professor. He teaches just uh, an array of classes um, from preaching to apologetics, and he is loved by many, many, many students, uh, and is one of those professors that is just um, a friend, even through and through. Um, I've not had him for any classes. Um, All of my best friends in the world love him, and um, this was actually the first time that we ever sat down and talked um for a time longer than oh hey dr fuller hey luke um so yeah thanks for tuning in i have been excited about this episode for a long time um here we go back to the podcast um this week i am really excited for this conversation i am with uh dr fuller from uh he's the he's a lot of things actually at the school that i go to so sometimes um, tragically yes yeah, (laughs)
1: yeah
0: um we're gonna be talking today about uh lament and sort of all things that um and yeah i guess what do you like what do you don't like what do you do
1: uh, yeah, I, I wear about three hats here at AU. I teach in Christian Studies, teach preaching and apologetics, mm-hmm. and some intro to ministry stuff. Uh, I direct our honors program, which is about 70% of my job, probably, mm-hmm. between teaching and administrating. It's it's really fantastic work with those kinds of students. Uh, they can be maintenance-heavy he, maintenance at times, mm-hmm. but that goes with the territory. And then I actually do a lot of work with admission here, uh, okay. recruiting students and things to AU. Yeah. So um, I actually really like my job. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how openly I should say this, but I think I might have the best job at AU. <laughs> because I, I get to work with faculty across yeah. the campus. Right. I get to see interdisciplinary things happen, mm-hmm. um, uh, maintaining professional and personal relationships with history faculty, literature faculty, mm-hmm. economics faculty, art faculty. Uh, the thing that motivates me and keeps me interested in academics is I'm insatiably curious. Huh. And so this is an ideal job for someone who cannot turn his brain off.
0: Mm what do you what do you do to kind of outside of your job and maybe even outside of academia if you can even answer it outside of academia yeah. how do you kind of satiate your curiosity oh, l- at least a little bit i
1: i have um I have curiosities that don't necessarily advance my sanctification in that <laughs> i uh I read tons of automotive blogs. Okay. I I don't know why I like cars. I like huh. engines. I like I like to learn about them. Um, I wish I could afford all the ones that I mm. would like to have. Uh, I do that. Um, straight. I I enjoy this. This sounds so dad. I'm so sorry. Uh, I enjoy mowing my grass, mm. raking my leaves, trimming my shrubs. It's cathartic a little bit. Correct. Uh, and in the summertime, because most of what I do is thought oriented and I, I don't get to see results uh, there is something deeply satisfying about mowing the grass and seeing green stripes hmm, yeah. so that and uh, man I just <clears throat> I really enjoy uh, hanging and traveling with my family we we, hmm, we try sweet. to be an adventurous bunch as much as we hmm. can and so uh, those are my best memories of the upstate are going kayaking with my kids or hmm. going on a lake or seeing a waterfall or hiking a mountain those are to me those are the best things Give a
0: go to hike or slash
1: area uh, yeah, we make a trip every year to Highlands Cashers and mm, do a couple yeah. hikes there. And just for a quick one, we'll do the Whitesides Mountain hike. Okay, about five thousand feet, uh,
0: sheer cliffs all the way around. Mm. Very nice. Uh, yeah, that's beautiful up there. Have you? Um, this is a super aside. Before we get started, have you read any Ron Rash? No. Okay, he's a local author. Writes about the Appalachian subculture of like Jocassy Valley to like like oh, larger hi. like river basin yeah. Yeah. Um, area. Oh, he's great. He is He's super good. He has a a book, One Foot in Eden, that is just I need to see that.
1: I am, as a Kentucky native, uh, Mm. more familiar with Wendell Berry and some some of those. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: He definitely kind of is a different flavor of the Berry. He, like, writes, like, if Berry – picture everything Berry does a little more existential, a little more dready, and a little more, like – like mystery like just like dark like I'm reading a book by him right now called Saints of the River where he it's about a, a little girl who go like wanders out she's on vacation with her family, wanders out into the Tamassie and gets like pulled away by an undercurrent and ends up underneath like behind a hydraulic essentially in the river. Yeah. Um and the whole book is like, Are we gonna break the scenic river um, or whatever it is that the 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 law, environmental law that says like we can't Modify this river or like its watershed, or and leave the girl in there. Or are we gonna like put up a temporary dam and get and it's like just yeah. 300 pages yeah. of pure, just yeah. gut wrenching. Yeah. Uh, so,
1: surprisingly, where I grew up in, in Western Kentucky was in a coal field, hmm. and Wendell Berry was the opposite of popular. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a, a deep dread of Wendell Berry huh. in the coal fields because he's very anti coal. Oh, yeah, and uh, I, I, I so growing up, I I didn't know anything about Wendell Berry. I just knew he's a bad guy, right? Because yeah. it was a cold mm-hmm. economy. And only later in life it did i think, whoa, this guy can write. Mm. And uh,
0: um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, We uh, Ian and Ashton and I went up to Kentucky and we had uh, such an urge to go to the uh, Berry Institute, but we didn't get it. We didn't yeah. get over there. Because yeah. um, it was like an hour and a half out of the way. We thought it was sure. going to be closer, but sure. it's so big up there, it's yeah. so open. I'm used to like, even back home, an hour drive is you go through New Hampshire and then you're in Vermont and then if <laughs> yeah. you go like a half an hour more you're in New York right, and so it's right, like you know yeah, yeah. Um, down here is crazy and the Midwest is yeah. just huge yeah, um, yeah grief lament Ooh, uh, transition yes yeah, right <laughs> uh, I probably should have hopped on this when I was talking about the the Ron Rash yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, book but yeah I think um, I really do think that this is a a way of praying and a way of approaching god that is like and i don't say this word lightly like actually killed and frowned upon in like in at least the kind of circles that i grew up in um which was i mean they know for context for you i, I grew up in a really um fundamental baptist mm-hmm. um super religious mm-hmm. really cold and dead spiritually space um just like uh girls and boys have to have a specific length of hair um super weird stuff like that like as uh, not weird not good for for me and i think probably most people as well mm-hmm. um there's a really strict environment and so prayer was um this idea of god as uh, dr butler said it actually the other day god is a vending machine um where like he might give you what you ask for um and sometimes he might jam and except for the vending machine you like shake it with God, you just, like, leave it alone. Because you're like, oh, if God, like, doesn't answer me or whatever, um, or you answer me how I want, um, I can't do anything about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we'll probably step on uh, the petitionary prayers toes a little bit this episode. But, um, yeah, I guess maybe just to start, what has – I mean, nobody, I think, is good at praying. Um, That's the point of this podcast is – Uh, so that I can think about prayer in in new and different ways and so I can help other people think about prayer in new and different ways. What has been your background, any perspective you can give um, with prayer, Uh, especially I think as uh, such an academic person um, who's like really ingrained in Mm -hmm. um, the academy, like what does that look like Mm -hmm. for you and what has it looked like? Yeah, that's
1: a great question. I should think about it more often. Um, I I mean, if you're looking for a prayer warrior. That's, that's mm. probably not me. Mm. I, I wouldn't say that prayer is the strongest point of my spiritual life. Um, I've, I've found myself uh, delighting in God when I was younger, particularly uh, by studying things about God, even in theology. Huh. Yeah. So when I was in seminary, um, I developed a passion for philosophical and theological studies because I found it personally enriching. And so the some people find theological study to be the opposite. No, no, no. for me, it, it was, It mm-hmm. was. I can remember distinctly, I lived about 95 miles from seminary when I was doing my MDiv, so I had a lot of time in the car. Mm. I, I can remember leaving a class one day, and we had been really deep into the doctrine of creation, mm. and driving home and looking at the world around me and just having a, a deep rejoicing well up in me at mm. being able to look at trees in the sky and clouds with eyes that I had not. Had before, yeah, right, and and so that that's always fed me. Uh, Now I I think when it comes to prayer, um, I I remember a few years ago when a colleague, Dr. Chrysler, stood in uh, chapel here in AU and he said, "I haven't had a quiet time in 16 years," Mm. and I thought to myself, "Thank you for saying that out loud." Yeah, Uh, because I I felt the same. I've 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 never been good at that. Mm. I hear, uh, I read the New Testament says things like. Pray without ceasing, and part of me is like, yeah, right. But then part of me recognizes this is something maybe categorically different than mm-hmm. I think of course. when when I when I think about prayer. And I, I th- and so obviously what we're pursuing here is is communion with God. And uh, I, I think there are two things in my experience. One is I was in pastoral ministry for about thirteen years, and I wasn't a great prayer. Mm. There, I was a formulaic prayer as mm-hmm. part of my pastoral duties and i actually got to the place in that where i became frustrated with the baptist tradition of always having these uh free moments of prayer mm-hmm. extemporaneous and no, i actually began to plan pastoral mm-hmm. prayers and then i found a depth in that, mm-hmm. that that i didn't have before actually thinking through what i would say to god mm-hmm. before a congregation
2: mm-hmm.
1: that, that actually deepened my prayer life uh, probably the other part of my story would be more personal in that uh, I, I think I've always had a strong bent toward normal, like mm-hmm. expectations. How would my life go? Mm-hmm. How would our family look? What would marriage look like? What would raising children be like? I've always just wanted things to be normal. Whatever the expectation is, I would meet that. And so I, I think when we're talking about lament, I, I can honestly say I don't think I really knew what that was right? A- and until just a few years ago, mm-hmm. honestly. And um, uh, I, it really did begin or, or accelerated when our our, da- our daughter became ill, mm-hmm. and suddenly the life that I wanted for my fifteen-year-old wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I experienced I had experienced pains in my past. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd experienced you know bad things I, myself. I was very badly injured in a car wreck when I was twenty-two,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but that was just me right? And if I had died in that car wreck, it didn't, it's just me. I I was single at the time, all that. But then when it's one of your children involved, man, just the frame changes Mm because you you ache on behalf of your child and you ache before God. And so I would say when it comes to lament, there've probably been two things that have informed me. Um, One would be a slow frustration with kind of happy, happy, joy, joy, Worship that we have in, in evangelical uh-huh. churches—we just don't give ourselves space to grieve before God. That—that yeah. is, that is an emotional posture that somehow we're uncomfortable with, and it's basically disallowed. Mm. And, and secondly, just the experience of of pain that comes into your house, into your family. I—I mm. um, I, I told a friend in the in the midst of when all this was kind of crumbling a few years ago that stress and anxiety was something that I knew existed but I could positively say I had not truly experienced Hmm. until uh, you're dealing with a chronically ill child in your house. Um, So yeah, those were sort of transformative moments Mm -hmm. from we're normal, see, the Fuller family, we're normal, (laughs) everything's normal, Mm -hmm. we're meeting all the expectations to realize that no, we're not and we can't.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I I think of like the Psalms specifically and how most of them aren't really Cheerful, or <laughs> joyful, or or particularly worshipful in the way that we think of worship. So That's often, great. I think, um, and then I think of modern. And if you think of the Psalms, I mean, so many, so many theologians. I was going to say one or two, but so many are like, and everyone. Psalms are the songbook of Scripture. Right. Um, Psalms are the prayer book of Scripture. Right. It's both, and and if you think of modern. Worship and, and modern, uh, even like hymns, right? Um, there's not, there there's, how many of those are lament hymns or mm-hmm. lament songs of worship? Because mm-hmm. um, we don't think of, one, we don't think of worship as prayer, mm-hmm. as a type of prayer. Um, two, we don't think of like lament, this mm-hmm. like gut-wrenching, just yelling at God mm-hmm. <laughs> is mm-hmm. what it sometimes looks like mm-hmm. as like, that can't be worshipful. Right. Um, that can't be prayerful. That's not reverent. That's not fill in the blank. Um, and, but that's like in so much of scripture, not even just the Psalms. Um, think of Job, like the entire book. And there's a book, Lamentations. If you haven't read it, maybe go do that. Um, Ecclesiastes even is a huge bummer. Yeah. Um, yet they're all... God's word and wisdom, right? And so, if God's word itself and God's wisdom can be quote a huge bummer, <laughs> yes, then like what does that mean for our words to God yeah. with God? Yeah, um, even the groanings of Jesus
1: yeah. in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much of Paul's letters drip with a groan, mm. um, I, and I think. Like, I teach apologetics, so we talk about the problem of evil, and I, I really get frustrated when we have, like, these one, two, or three silver mm-hmm. bullet solutions. See, it's yeah. fixed. Right. Free will defense, done. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when, when you think about uh, this grand narrative of Scripture, story of the gospel, or whatever, the reason the problem of evil is such a problem is because the problem of the universe is a moral problem. Yeah. And, and the question that hangs over the Bible is not, is God there? Mm-hmm. It's, is he just? Mm-hmm. And that's where we feel the groan. Yeah. Right? That that things, like, even in spiritual conversations with people, I think the best connecting point is often just the realities of living in a fallen world. Mm. No one's ever told me they think their lives or the world is as it should be. Yeah. But that's a huge confession mm-hmm. for someone to say that, right? And so I, I actually think pain is, like, the crux mm. uh, um, of of the universe and, and, and life, life with God. Hmm. So you're right. uh, Lament is woven through the scripture. I mean, it rings with questions like, uh, how long, O Lord. Yeah. Um, why are things like this? You hear, uh, you just even think about stories, um, Martha to, to Jesus. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died.
2: Hmm.
1: And how many, how many times do we see people in the Bible looking up to heaven? Like, come on God. Yeah. Hold up your side of the deal, man. Yeah. Right, and and I, I tell students all the time too, you will wrestle with this question mm-hmm. if you haven't yet. Uh, you probably have already, but if you haven't, you you will. This this is mm-hmm. the stuff of life.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to get um, frustrated with the problem of evil, not because I can't figure it out, but because, like, this summer I was like, I don't. What is what's happening with the Book of Job? Um, right. So I just read it a bunch. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me. And I kind of got here with the help of um, J. Richard Middleton, Uh um, his book, Abraham Silence. Oh, it's so good. Um, It seems to me that Job is not asking the question, um, why do bad things happen to good people? Or asking the question, why do good things happen to bad people, right? Because that's a question that people have, too, whether they want to admit it or not or ask it or not, whichever one they focus on. Um, It's more asking the question of what is right speech to God in the face of these awful, terrible things, right. catastrophe and suffering and, and heartache and uh, not even your own. I, I would argue yeah. I think Job wasn't too, he was probably pretty bummed about it, but I, I would argue he wasn't too broken up about his the boils and, and all that stuff. It was probably not very fun for him, but I think the biggest thing was this weight of mm-hmm. having lost his family, mm-hmm. except for his wife, who doesn't seem to be super supportive, mm-hmm. um, and everything he's built for himself righteously—not mm-hmm. out of out of pride or out of um, ambition, unhealthy ambition—but out of um, a reverence for and a worshipful heart toward mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. It seems like at the beginning of Job, he is this righteous man who is fulfilling. The Apostle Paul's later command to pray without ceasing. Right. Yes. He's doing the Brother Lawrence thing. He's yeah. like yeah. doing everything he does with God at the forefront of his mind. Yet, it still all comes crashing down.
1: Yeah, he, and he is—he's groaning for an answer. Right? Yeah. And he obviously he doesn't really get one, or at mm-hmm. least not the answer he anticipates, maybe in yeah. a way. And I think there's something to be said for the closing chapters where God. Roars at Job a bit, yeah, as if to say, Job, what you don't need is an answer to figure this out, right? What you need, Job, is still me, Mm -hmm. Um, in so
0: many words, yeah, right, right, and still calls Job righteous too, which is like the coolest (sighs) part to me. Is like it real, like to my mind, trapped in fundamentalism, still sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, To think of all of Job's speech to God. And all of Job's like his like shouting match with God essentially, and then he gets an answer, and then he isn't shouting anymore. Yeah. Um, as righteous, like as as right and right. and correct and uh, permissible and good. Mm-hmm. Um. It like there's a disconnect there for me, um, and so I, Middleton talks about he has a wacky interpretation of the the two speeches, um, where he he thinks, and I I can get there, but I don't know I. I've been going back and forth. He thinks that um, God is not chastising Job. He is commending Job. Um, when he says, hey, look at these two giant beasts. Look at how big their mouths are. Because that's a huge focus for some reason. Um, I can control them. I can shut them up. But you... You're still talking. You're still talking. Yeah, and right. and I want you to. Like yeah. I want you to have this conversation with me however vigorous it is, however messy it is, however brutal it is, mm-hmm. um, God wants and invites those types of, mm-hmm. um, I guess, conversation partners. Um, and like we were talking about, we see that in Jesus, mm-hmm. um, in Gethsemane, and and let's see, Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah, that's more petition. Um, and Moses on Sinai, again, intercession. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I yeah. guess talking about the, this, the, these groanings. Like, I think sometimes um, there's a verse from the Apostle Paul where he talks about uh, groanings too deep for words. Um, what do? What is that? What do you know what I mean? Like, I think mm-hmm. everyone knows what that is, but I, I guess there's a tendency in more evangelical circles to think. Oh, I don't need to pray, because God's already got it. God already knows. Mm. Yeah,
1: let go and let God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, exactly. Okay, right. Yeah.
0: And so, what specifically, as it relates to lament and to yeah. this sort of like, um, maybe this desperate petition, um, is a good distinction from just petition in general. Um, what What do we do with these groanings? And like, I know Paul really frames it up like the Holy Spirit's got it, it knows. But it would also be really helpful for us to be able to figure those out yeah. um, and to discern that. And yeah. what does it look like to express those? And why is it important to express those? Um, and yeah, I guess. Yeah, hmm. uh, that's a great question. I, part of me thinks
1: if we could articulate it, it's no longer a grown mm, that's too true. deep for articulation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? right? of course. So, of course. so it, 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 I mean, there's something of an existential framing here, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think, in this. Uh, um, I think I'm, there's a couple of cautions, like with Job, mm-hmm. right? God is in a sense welcoming the conversation with Job. Mm-hmm. The danger, though, is Job might put God on the witness stand, mm. and and that's we don't we don't reverse those roles. And, and God is clear with Job: right. like, you can't reverse the roles here. You you can you can cry to me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but but I'm still the judge, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I think there's that caution, and, and mm-hmm. I think uh, in our day too. Um, Thinking about long nights, laying awake. What is this? Is good, healthy, groaning, concern, mm. deep, deep groans. Um, and where is the line between that and, and sort of like being concerned for my own like mental health, mm. right? Where, where is the line between? Yeah. And even biblically, what's the line between lamenting openly? Freely, groaning, and also um, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, yeah. make your requests made known to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding or guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus
2: mm-hmm.
1: so uh, it, it's uh, I f- now what I don 't want to do is falsely dichotomize these two poles because mm-hmm. I think they are together, yeah I, and this is the difference, right, and this is Thessalonians that we we actually lament and we grieve. Mm-hmm. But the reason we're limiting and grieving because at the bottom of it, we actually hope for something different, something yeah. better, mm-hmm. something more. And so I, in some ways, our, our hope in this life is, is always backdropped by pain. Mm. At the same time, our groans are backdropped by hope.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, of course. They, they, they have to be framed up. One, ooh, I, don't, I definitely don't want to get into some sort of weird dualism, but, <laughs> but, but they exist together, right? Yeah. And this is, this is the Christian life. That the Christian life is characteristically joyful, and characteristically tearful mm-hmm. as we live between the times. Uh, you know, we, as we live in a period where the kingdom has been inaugurated but not complete. What else would we expect? Yeah. Uh, but to hopefully groan and groanfully hope. Uh
0: huh. Um, yeah, I've been learning more and more over the past, I think, year or so. That more. I don't know how much you think of this. I'm an Enneagram Four Wing Five. If that means nothing to you, cool. If it means something to you, here, for you listening, it means that I like to have all of the information possible before I'm sad about something, Uh Um, pretty much. And um, that sort of information seeker that I can be sometimes really wants all of the tensions I see in the Christian life to be easily reconciled. Mm -hmm. But I'm starting to see that that's the point that like the point of this thing that we do is to recognize in part that everything there is, is held in an irreconcilable tension um, with something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, even something like I was having this conversation the other day, inerrancy and artistic liberty. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right, like right. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, or all the way to uh, predestination and free will. Yeah, or the incarnation of Jesus. yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems to me like every truth of yeah. Christianity is yeah. is intention with itself. Yeah, wow. it just
1: sounds like you've gone from second semester seminary into seminary graduate in your thinking. <laughs> I mean, every like there's sometimes there's no more annoying person in the world than second semester seminary, and they really think they've it figured out. Mm. I was there. Mm. Uh, I I really thought I had the answers. I had the logic cleaned up. And as I get older, uh, I'll, I'll say this: the older I get. Um, the less sure I am about a whole range of things, mm. but the more sure I am about a smaller set of things. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't want to go back to the days when I thought I knew it all. Right. Particularly when it comes to like communion with God, mm. giving myself room to groan without a clear answer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think tension is 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 really fundamental to the Christian life again because of the time in which we live mm-hmm. because of the 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 epoch in which we live yeah. it, is, it, it, it has to be it has to be tense it has to be hmm.
0: yeah and i like what you said about um hope as the backdrop um there's this amazing contemplative uh martin Laird. um love him his book um into the silent land was like what kind of got me started about like a year and a half ago on this like journey of like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to pray. Um, and, uh, he has this quote. Um, actually, all that to say, it might be Henry now either way. Um, yeah. Win, win. Yeah. yeah. Win, win. Um, we have access to the whole of human suffering mm. in Jesus mm-hmm. only because of the ultimate case of human suffering,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, which I just think is beautiful and has wild implications for our like personal ministries. Um, and that silence and solitude cultivates that and our own groanings kind of contextualize the groanings of other people and makes us more compassionate to them, et cetera, et cetera. We can right. talk about that, I think yeah. for a whole episode. Yeah. Um, but that to say, like, even if you never feel at peace about this one thing that you always seem to be groaning about (laughs) like that's not for nothing Mm -hmm. you know what I mean Mm -hmm. even I think we get in our minds that like oh testing suffering whatever word you want to throw on it pruning is all for our purification and I I think that's true I really do but I also think it's for like instilling a deep compassion in us for other people's hard stuff yeah um and i think when we ignore that when we ignore the need to work that out on our own through prayerful lament Mm -hmm. then i mean we're like really cheapening something
1: yeah and if we're not careful we cut people off from the very healthy and normal processes of grief as well yeah Th- think of the the really cheap answers. Sometimes we give people when they're hurting or they're grieving. God's got a good plan for this. Yeah. Everything's going to be okay. Beauty for ashes. Mm. Every cloud mm. has a silver lining, and that's really not often that clear yeah. or or that easy. Uh-huh. That even in our communication with people and being empathetic with people, we we actually need to give them room to lament and give mm. them room to grieve. Where sometimes the way we explain talk about the gospel to people, or particularly when they're suffering, we short circuit hmm. lament and grief. Hmm. Uh, and, and we leave really stunted disciples. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're going to be not just in a sense like emotionally right. stunted, but also stunted in their communion with God hmm. because they go to God for answers or for help or for comfort. But going to God with your grief and with your pain and sitting in that, Mm. I mean, think of the Old Testament, how often sackcloth and ashes are there for a variety of reasons, Uh right? Lots of reasons people sit in sackcloth and ashes. And even, you you know, you read even the book of Revelation that just ends with this beautiful, glorious vision of a recreated world. Mm. How before that world is recreated, uh, there's destruction.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, There are positively awful scenes. Mm. In, in the book of Revelation, and we we don't tend to give people space for that uh, mm. in, in the way we think about uh, sometimes church ministry structures, but often in just what we call discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, discipleship is always categorized as onward and upward, yeah. uh, not downward. And, or inward. And inward. Yeah. And I think you're talking about your Enneagram. I'm, I'm a five, mm. and so it's, it's sometimes difficult for me to articulate these inward things. Mm. And uh, my wife picks on me a lot. You know, Why don't you talk to me? And I'll say, well, because my head is a really wonderful place to be, and I, I enjoy hanging out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going on there.
0: Uh, oh, the tension that that is in with being also four it is <laughs> yeah. the worst. It's terrible. It is a terrible time, <laughs> right? <correct>. Constant groaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I,
1: I think all these things are are very difficult, maybe for me especially, mm. uh, to verbalize, articulate, mm-hmm. categorize, and, and yet there is there is. Uh, there is something weirdly beautiful about being awake at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can let your mind run in a mm-hmm. million directions of stress and anxiety, right? And mm-hmm. I, I don't know why that tends to hit in the middle right, of the night like yeah. it does. But there's something about giving that its moment mm-hmm. and then somehow coming around to, to letting that groan go grow up to God Mm. and in some weird way um, f- finding a sense of rest mm. I, I, I can't explain yeah. that um, it, and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that the situation gets better the pain goes away, ta-da, all better mm-hmm. uh, but it is this process and whoa, don't we don't we just feel this in mm-hmm. John's literature or in the Pauline corpus or the uh, uh, the, the prophets that uh, this sort of is life with God. That mm. um, that I mean, think about just the radical nature. Of the, the, this is the God who comes to us. Mm-hmm. The, this the the incarnation comes to a real world with real pains and real hurts, and mm. we have one who who bears our iniquity, mm-hmm. right? And knowing that there is a person who is. As Hebrew says, familiar with mm. trials and pains and sins, and for yeah. that for that one to say, "And lo, I am a with you," uh, to the end of the age. There's somewhere in that three a.m. moment that how in the world do you ever go back to sleep? Well, either you get so tired you can't stay awake mm-hmm. anymore, or you, in a strange way, I, mm, I, again, it's hard for me. I think yeah, you can you can sort of discipline yourself uh-huh. to find rest in God, but that sounds so programmatic. Right. Yeah. Um, r- rather, there, there is a resolution to sitting in our ashes that isn't circumstantial. Mm. Uh, the, the resolution is often just realizing, after all, at the end of this, I'm not alone
0: in this universe, mm. as much as it may feel like it. Yeah. And I think um, I, you don't know this, I love like Genesis is the best book of the Bible. Not the best, my favorite. Um, I think it's so cool. And I'm like a big nerd about it, but um, like I think lament might be some weird form of Sabbath. <laughs> if <laughs> wow, if Sabbath is surrendering the things, and I mean this is not really yeah. this is moving away from Genesis, yeah, um, into the rest of the Torah. But if Sabbath is a a reminder to us that we are not what we accomplish. Um, and that our work is not the only thing constantly done worshipfully, Mm -hmm. then isn't lament a reminder? Because lament is messy and not um, usually well-planned out, put together, Mm -hmm. um, thought out ahead of time, which are good things for when they need to be um, things. But lament is a reminder to ourselves that we are not our eloquence in prayer We are not our persistence in prayer. We are not our loudness in prayer. Um, God hears us anyways and is with us. And sometimes the words of God just don't feel like enough and the hand of God, just the comforting hand of God that brings peace is like just what you need yeah, this actually reminds me of what we referenced in our email exchange about St. John of the
1: Cross and his yeah, poem. Yeah, that I, I, was, I find that poem inscrutable. Mm-hmm. I, I can't figure it out. in fact, I think it's interesting that he later had to write a tre- treatise to explain what he was saying, right. <laughs> or two, two, I think. yeah, yeah. Um, nonetheless, that's the poem, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is a resolution that, that goes beyond like clear articulation. Yeah. but you're at Genesis, man, uh, you know, Genesis goes to rock bottom really fast. <laughs> And I would say that Genesis 5 feels like a a funeral dirge, and he died, Uh and he died, and he died, and he died. Uh, So yeah, Genesis is, you could probably argue that Genesis 3, 4, Genesis is framed as a lament all the way through the Joseph
0: narrative, at least in some rhetorical way. I think even I'm reminded of the very last bit of that little, the Joseph episode and his bones are yeah in Egypt right yeah. and it's like wow that's a he was the guy i thought yeah. like that was the messiah right wasn't that the one who was yeah. lived a perfect life right yeah. um even reading that today knowing jesus you can't ignore that that's how joseph is painted very deliberately right um but yeah there we go again with inerrancy and uh artistic liberty yeah. um but like what do we do with that with yeah. this like Super, another thing I think of, I was talking with a friend of mine, you know, um, the Austin Rawlings. Yes. Um, I was talking with Noah the other day, and we were talking about how Genesis 3, what is it, 15 or 16, um, where it says, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. It really, Uh, Robert Alter is my favorite Hebrew Bible scholar. He translates it child rearing. Um, cause right. he, he wants to take a little dig and a, and a, in a, in a yes. jab yeah, yeah, at the yeah. childbearing, yeah, yeah. um, be like actually child rearing, but like he's in his footnote, he's like, that's not even the best word. I just think it's funny yeah. to like make fun of the, sure. the usual translation yeah. because what it's getting at is like life as a person with other people, especially when they're your kids and around you all the time is not a life that anyone really wants to be living. If they're, mm-hmm. if they're actually truly honest, it is much easier to just really want, uh, like to go out into the desert and never have to deal with the hurt and the heartache and the difficulty of being a person with other people. Um, and I think that's what St. John of the Cross was feeling a little bit. Absolutely, um, yep. And, and I think all of the Desert Fathers wrote, I mean, he wasn't a Desert Father, but all of the Desert Fathers wrote, um, really, really edgy emo literature about like how sad they were all the time. (laughs) And it's no coincidence that quite literally they all went out to just like pray their life away in the desert um, for better or for worse and wrote some really potent literature about it. Um, But like, you've got to think what that does to someone. Mm. And thinking of St. John of the Cross, it's interesting the parallel between the dark night of the soul as an idea mm-hmm. maybe it's the poem I wonder if when when was he writing this is like
1: 1300
0: okay yeah so it it might have been Um, anonymous monk uh, wrote this book in the 15th century I believe okay. called the cloud of unknowing um, and it's a, a guide to contemplation essentially mm-hmm. um, it has some subtitle that's not it but it he claims in there that to to reach God in the contemplative posture, you have to ascend into this dark, the, the cloud above Sinai, asc- yeah, this right, dark, right. Yeah. stormy, lightningy cloud that you do not want to approach. Like, you do not want to go there. But yeah. it's only in the peace of inner and exterior stillness and silence that you can get there. Yeah. Um, and I think St. John of the Cross is, is, I mean, I guess before the fact, pushing us toward something like that in... The times where our whole life feels like we're in that cloud, mm-hmm. and we're really grabbing around for God, and He seems to be outside of it or above it or, or wherever.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I don't think Saint John on the Cross is talking necessarily about you're going to go through really hard times. Y- yeah. I, I don't think yeah. that's what he's after. I think he's after what is, in his own way, a, a very normal hmm. encounter with God in communion. Yeah. That encounter encounter with God in communion is, uh, look. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to think about standing before God mm. without the idea of a cross and a resurrection being in place. Yeah. There, there, is, there is something foreboding mm. about the idea of communion with God. There is something uh, humiliating about the idea of communion with God. There is, there is something that's an indictment about the idea of mm. communion with God. And I think the poem walks that out. And yeah. then, then there is a yeah. resolution to this because uh, – because of God himself, not, mm-hmm. not because of anything that St. John or any of us have done, but because of God himself. And that's where he finds his, right. his resolution and having those fears calmed and 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 to some extent taken away. Um, and it's because that God has done that, not mm-hmm. not because he himself has done that.
0: Yeah. The author Cloud of Unknowing talks about the humility that that brings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so has Henry Allen and so has Thomas Murray. They, and they've kind of been some of the main guys that I've been um, pulling from thinking about their ideas um, for this series, just because, I mean, Thomas Merton uh, was Thomas Merton Uh, (laughs) um, and others like Augustine, Athanasius, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I, how do we, you were mentioning earlier how, um, how much we divorce discipleship and uh, lament this type of prayer. How do we kind of re-inject that? That's a that's a great question. I I, I think in, in
1: many frames, one I would suggest would be public worship. Mm. Um, that I think there should be times where we intentionally lament tragedies in the world, mm. the pains of life, yeah. or even uh, what we call intercessory prayer, or pastoral prayer. Sometimes what we're actually doing, yes, we're asking for God to intervene on behalf of right. the sick one, sick one, the one that's hurting, the one that's in grief. Mm-hmm. But really that, that public expression is actually more of a lament hmm. than it is an intercession. Yeah. And, and so I think we can draw I, – I, I do have concerns about um, what you might call like the emotional tone of of a lot of our worship yeah. services where – like the Psalms. I, uh, as, a, as a young man, I had like very little appreciation for the Psalms. Mm. I, did, I don't like poetry. I'm not good at it. Mm goodness, this is a lot of poetry. And then later in life, once I lived a little bit and heard a little bit, I realized, wait, uh, these psalms are me. They're singing my song. This is just life with God talked about. And I think we need to bring that back into public worship would be helpful. Um, I, I do think most of what we call Sunday school literature, discipleship material, whatever we use with folks, it is these ideas are just absent. Yeah, right. Just absent. It's all written in onward and upward ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, th- I think it has to do with the way we teach. And frankly, I think conversations like this one we're having today need to be far more common. Now I'm encouraged in that mm-hmm. I see. Uh, I hate generational talk. I really <laughs> despise most of it. It's like it's d- fake. Who, who d- differences makes it? between Gen Z and yeah. Millennials. It's like <laughs> it just resets every few years. Get over it, you know. So, but that I hear your people, Luke, mm, yeah. talking about these things when I was your age, uh, we, mm. we didn't talk about being sad. right? That, that wasn't cool. <laughs> uh, and I, I think it probably does cohere in our, in our, wilder, in our wider society mm-hmm. with our attention to things like mental health mm. yeah. uh, and, and these sorts of things where uh, I had um, one of my sweet mates, my senior of college, he, he committed suicide two years after we graduated. Mm. And I'll, I'll say this, we, we were aware that things there weren't right, mm. but we neither had the categories. We didn't have the information mm. to know what to do or to do anything about it. Yeah, where I think, I think improvements
2: mm-hmm.
1: in, in our dispositions in that field could, if we're smart, transfer to improvements in our disposition about lament and sadness before God. Yeah, uh, that that we didn't. We need to hold these things together, not apart. Mm. Uh, so I, I do think it's public worship. I think it's it's part of our conversations. I think it's what we're modeling, and also it is doing what you're doing and retrieving thoughts from old, dead Christians. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is going back and mining out the confessions. And yeah, before Augustine gives this beautiful honor to his mother in Book 9, mm-hmm rock bottom comes before oh, it. Oh, yeah.
0: Right. right. It stays for quite a while. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and even recognizing these things in the literature itself, and, and this is where, like, I'll just, again, toss it back to my colleague, Dr. Chrysler, where he is, con- I mean, the man wrote an entire dissertation on Romans 9 actually mm-hmm. taking the form of lament. And this oh. was something I had actually never pondered yeah. uh, b- before, that this is not, it is, in a sense, an indictment, but the framing is in the Jeremiah tradition. Mm-hmm. It's it's learning to be better Bible readers Mm -hmm. uh, as as we see these things. So I I think it's multifaceted Um, uh, for, like I tell people in preaching class all the time, that was a pretty good sermon. It'll be better when you've lived longer Hmm. and and heard a little more, right? In 15 years, this will be deeper and truer. Hmm. So it's a lot, yeah. I do do think it may start with just checking the way with which we think about the public presentation of the gospel in worship,
2: Hmm.
0: right? Yeah, I um I think of the work that like genuinely I, I think great people are doing, people that I like look up to in the church, like John Tyson, um, yeah. John Mark Comer, Tyler Staten yes. around yeah. discipleship and education, that's what I feel oppressed on my life for. But I'm like, even these guys who are really doing something I think really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, New for our culture right now, yeah. but in the most true way, very, very ancient. I mean, John Mark Comer ha- is framing his whole nonprofit around a rule of life, right. which is yes. goes back to Saint Ignat- Benedict, yeah. in way, Ignatius, Ignatius, and all Ignatius that. yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and so, uh, even that all—all all that to say—and and the work they're doing on Sabbath and all right. this stuff, yeah. There's not a lot yeah. from any of those guys even on on lament and on yeah. on grief and suffering and pain and sure. Tyler Staten just put out a book on on prayer a little bit ago. Yeah. Um, I haven't. I have gotten the chance to get my hands on it. I haven't cracked it open yet. Yeah. Um, but
1: well, I think the the reawakening of ideas of uh, spiritual formation mm-hmm. even in the tradition of like virtue ethics and these kinds of things is good because for too long, we've preached the Christian gospel like this. If you think the right things, you'll do the right things. Mm, yeah. If, if you think the right things, you'll feel the right things. Yeah. But the opposite is also true. Paul. Right? Yeah. Uh, by habituating ourselves to being formed in a certain kind of being actually changes the way you think and uh-huh. the and the way that you feel. I actually think we're, we're culturally at a, at a really Hopeful, good moment. Um, mm-hmm. insofar as, and I, man, I'm, I'm a big fan of Charles Taylor. Yeah, I don't always understand everything he has to say, <laughs> and his book is really thick. Um, but I think it's on as the coffee table right so, yeah, yeah, there you go. So when he released that volume in 2007, it, it was it was pretty well panned in the yeah. academic world. Like, hmm. look, this is this is a mess. He hasn't traced his history sure. out, and, and he comes back and he says, "Like, you missed my point. Yeah, I actually said this is a zigzag account that it didn't have to go this way." But then like the second round of review is like, people might not like the way he assembled things, but there was something about his thesis that was intuitively correct. Yeah. And so Taylor, you know, his final thing is, in this uh, world in which we live, mm-hmm. we are pressured to try to build our own identity, find our own meanings, build significance, that we actually can't bear that pressure. It collapses on us when we find ourselves in a malaise. Right. So stop right there and then think about, uh, like I'm a Jamie Smith fanboy, uh. Over the top, probably too much. Yeah. Uh, but Cultural liturgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but in his uh, On Their Own St. Augustine book, there's this great scene, first, second of the chapter, I think, where the existentialists are in a in some bar in Paris. Uh-huh. And, and they're, they're doing what you would do in a, in a bar in Paris. <laughs> and they're existentialists, so they're all sad and they're wailing and, okay. and doing all the things. Augustine's over in the corner. He's listening to their conversation. And uh, he's the first one to leave. And on his way out, Augustine picks up their tab as if to say, I know how you feel. Hmm. The questions that you have are mine too.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. But I actually found an answer, huh. right? And, and this, this is like, this is our moment uh-huh. in, in the propagation of the Christian gospel in that we can actually look at those feeling the malaise of modernity, right? The not being able to bear the weight of significance and meaning and identity They are collapsing into themselves. Mm. And and we can look at them and say, not let me fix you, Mm -hmm. right? But I know those questions. We all know those pains. In fact, the Bible itself sings the song that you're singing. It's throughout the pages. And yet at the end of that, there is a conclusion, Mm. right? Just the questions, if, if God has spoken, if there is a transcendent world, the, f- the frame gets turned upside down altogether, mm-hmm. and there's a different way to approach this. Yeah, I'll tell you, even right now in, in recruiting students to, to AU and particularly talking about the honors program, uh, even on Saturday, standing before an audience, I can tell them, here's how the program works, here's what we do, right. but at the end of it, when I present something like this and say, but we're here to say there's a different way to approach these questions. yeah, Not just parents are going, that's what I want for my kids, mm-hmm. but it's 18-year-olds. Like, I feel that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel that. So I think it's fair to say, look, we are, as we all, because we're humans, that we are in, uh, we live in a lament. Yeah. And what believers can say to the world is not, again, not let me fix you, but we actually know the same pains. Right. We ask the same questions. The book that we believe actually tells your story too. Yeah. And, and it points us somewhere. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. Whether you want to buy in or not. Right. It's there. Right. It's it's still yeah. true. and Yeah. And, um deeply personal uh i think work this is like a a they're two very disconnected things on what you said um i think work on culture at large is like weirdly important for understanding maybe not understanding it that, i don't like that word for this just like resonating with lament yeah um and, and doing it mm-hmm. um uh andy crouch is uh one of my favorite guys who writes about that sometimes and Mm -hmm. um his book culture making was strangely enlightening illuminating on lament Mm -hmm. and i was like why is this happening he doesn't even talk about it Mm -hmm. um but as i'm reading culture making i'm also having these thoughts for the first time about lament um a couple years ago and i was like wow what in the world is going on um jamie smith as well i think um what you were getting at in "You Are What You Love," um, and and his cultural liturgies. Um, I haven't read "On the Road to Saint Augustine" yet. All my friends are reading it right now. Um, for, I think I know, I think I know <laughs> why. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I just think that, and and what you said about Augustine, that was him. Like, not not only does he had he had those questions, he'd had that same night. That's right. Yeah. Like you can you can see Augustine looking at Nietzsche and be
1: like, Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I've stared at that abyss. It stared right. back at me. But it went somewhere, uh-huh. right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I think Augustine's story is just so cool, oh, and, right. and and just if if Augustine can be venerated as a saint, then I mean, there's hope for us all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Truly.
1: Yeah. And yeah. Even even his legacy in the church, there 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 are conflicted parts of his legacy. Yeah. Uh, but still, you talk about a uh, a redemptive story, and mm-hmm. you know who. Huh, how how many of us at twenty years old would be frustrated with a mama
0: who would chase us across the Mediterranean? Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I didn't, actually didn't know until uh, very recently that his mother was also a saint. Yeah. Um, yeah. a couple months ago, Ian was like reading the book and he's like, yeah. "Huh?" And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Augustine's mom was a saint." And yeah. He's like what? Um, yeah, and and genuinely, truly, like if you are thinking about these t- sorts of things, lament like. We've talked about Augustine a lot this episode. He is a great, like, confession specifically is a great, um, like, I guess, entry point. He doesn't do a lot of lament or talk about a lot of lament, but right. I think just seeing the humanness of this, per, he's just a guy. Like, he's just a person. Uh, and he was brilliant and 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 prayerful, but he's just a guy at the end of the day. Right. Um, uh, some other people that have been super helpful to me. Um St. Francis, uh Brother Lawrence, mm-hmm. um in the in the practice of the presence of God, practicing right. the presence of God. Yeah. I yeah. I forget. Um uh w- strangely, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. Um I guess not strangely. He I mean, he really oddly enough, not from his uh biographies or uh or anything. Uh Life Together yeah. was like the one that did it for me. I was like, wow, like He's living where he's living, um, in in the midst of the Nazi regime, mm-hmm. and he's writing these things that he's writing. Like, how mm-hmm. do you, what? How do you do that? Yeah. Um, and it's a testament to the. I think the the hope that you were talking about, and also to how profitable lament can be, right? And how profitable lament. Language, like yeah. actual language is. Eugene yeah. Peterson and Eat This Book is. Oh, yes. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm working my way through that yeah. right now. Yeah. Oh, man. What a pin. So I mean, good. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this reminds me a lot of. Uh, so, Dr. Turner on our faculty has mm. uh, different ideas about afterlife and resurrection. <laughs> he uh, does. They're, they're fascinating. But one of his takeaways is that um, the way we make this mistake in mind body dualism is somehow we think that the mind, my thoughts are really me and everything else is not really me, and how we can um, jettison mm-hmm. sometimes either emotions, instincts, sadness, or lament as not really me. I just got to get myself into my right mind I right. have to find my happy place. And how those deep groanings, they are actually you, mm-hmm. and they, they, they may be signaling something to you, and you probably should embrace them and not merely try to dismiss them as we are prone to
0: do, particularly yeah. within our corner of Christianity. Yeah. yeah, Martin Laird, who's super Catholic, so I guess if you're not into that, then take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> um, he talks about contemplation as like this intimate accessing of the, the divine ground of our being. Yeah. And I think it's Paul Tillich coming through. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's a lot of times where those groans are coming from. Yeah. Is, is this place that mm, I don't want to get into original sin and stuff how permeating that is that Martin Laird would say this place that is untouched by yuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) um is groaning Mm -hmm. for you because of all of this stuff that happens Mm -hmm. to you and around you um, that you watch and that you hear about um there's something deep within you that is beyond that and that I mean I believe that um that is saying that is interceding for us right. with groans too deep for words.
1: Yeah. And this this that's a great yeah. It it just my own experience there was a time in my life where I really thought if I could figure these things out at the doctrinal level mm, then yeah. they would solve me right. spiritually. That that's never the case. Uh-uh. And and so I think learning look doctrine's essential it's important Theolo- theology is good uh, and and yet those things have to help interpret and frame them as a person in communing with God, but they can't replace those th- yeah. things, right? And, and I think maybe the transition in my own life, particularly the last few years, has been to just let myself be a person, mm. uh, a whole person whose experiences are real, whose, whose emotional instincts are are actual and not distant from either part of right. me, and understanding myself as a as a whole embodied being mm-hmm. before God and not just a doctrinal thinker who can... Chase down lines of logic and make them pretty.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, oh man, I. This is like a flex that came up once before in this podcast, and I don't uh-huh. like that it did. But uh, I had the opportunity to hang out with John Collins uh, from Bible Project, yeah. and John Tyson as well. Nice. Um, it was amazing. It was so cool. Yeah. We just John Collins and like. We talked about everything from, like, some of their upcoming projects to, like, Breaking Bad to, like, nerdy tech stuff about their new app that, like, Ian, my friend, was there. And um, my, like, rally group leader from New Spring was there as well. And they're just kind of, like, sitting there. We're, like, nerding out about, like, the cloud capabilities of the, like, how, what happens to the Bible when you put it in the cloud and have all these hyperlinks that are actual hyperlinks and, like, all this stuff. Um, And... He wrote an amazing book, and I, I got to kind of pick his brain about it. Um, I hadn't read it yet, actually, because I don't know if it had come out as a book yet, but he wrote a book with his wife called Why Emotions Matter. Um, and just hearing him talk about how, how important emotions are for spirituality, mm-hmm. and I think our tendency is is to say that the emo it's this weird form of like— part of gnosticism mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. where like we say that emotions are in some weird liminal space between physical and spiritual mm-hmm. but because they're like a byproduct sometimes of our physiology they're bad mm-hmm. Like <laughs> you know That's what right. i mean spiritual good right, right. yeah yeah uh physical bad yeah um which is so far from the yeah. case i mean I, we talked in this podcast about the physicality of prayer and, and how yeah uh augustine has a quote um the body is the soul's call to prayer mm. And Mm -hmm. I think I mean we can tie that to lament in a million
1: ways. Well, and what we do with that is we we run so far, and again, this is Jamie Smith. We reduce discipleship to we are brains on sticks, Mm -hmm. downloading information once a week in this room, and that's a really bad way to think about life with God in Christ. Yeah, Uh, that you. I think of like just there. There are um, I think there are a few places in the Bible where I can just sort of feel myself living. Mm. Uh, One is. John and John's gospel. Jesus feeds the five thousand. The crowd's pretty happy about it. <laughs> Jesus turns back to him and says, "You want to follow me? Great. Eat my flesh and drink my blood." Mm-hmm. The crowd disperses. The disciples are like, uh, "Jesus, this, weird. this isn't how you, this isn't how you build a platform, bro." Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and uh, Jesus, I love swaggy Jesus when he shows up in the gospels. Uh, you know, you going to leave too? Uh-huh. And what does Peter say? Where else am I going to go? Yeah. You, you have the words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those places. And another place is in Colossians, for you have died and your life is hidden with mm-hmm. Christ in God. Mm-hmm. And that even can compare that with like Galatians 2:20. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that those two places have uh almost like seared to me mm. spiritually that that the reason that lament is is part of life with God is cuz in lament I feel Romans 7. I'm a bag mm-hmm. of death, man. Yeah. I'm a bag of death. And lament is what's around me in s- situations, circumstances, whatever, griefs. Yeah. But lament is also in me mm-hmm. that I feel those same. G- I'm not one of these people that Paul is speaking as pre-converted self. I'm like, no, no, no. I, mm-hmm. I just don't think so. I, I think <clears throat> Paul's speaking of himself in that moment, and we all feel that, right? Yeah. And at the end
0: of that, he says, "I'm a
1: man, I'm a bag of
0: mm-hmm. death. And yet, thanks be to God, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, Paul is uh, – it's – no coincidence to me when I read the epistles that it seems like any aside that he takes is him doing lament in like the midst of discourse, right? Um, which is super cool of like how the source of our of a lot of our theology in the New Testament is Paul, and also maybe the closest thing to the Psalms in the New Testament is. <sighs> Is what Paul is writing, and what what yeah. he's getting at, of where he's yeah. like, man, it sure seems like it would be better to die, right? <laughs> I'm like, dude, what? And then he's like, anyways, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, but
1: for your benefit, I'll hang around.
0: Yeah, yeah, think. I yeah. guess. And it's yeah. like that was kind of crazy, um,
1: right? But isn't that? The, I mean, that's the undertone, right? right. The the undertone mm-hmm. of, of really the whole canon mm. is uh, from the tragedy of of Genesis three forward. The undertone is that of a tragedy, and that we live in that tragedy, and knowing that God has answered it and will finally answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is the Christian life. So with that, there's there's no way that I think we can live the uh, authentic that we can live the Christian life authentically. There's your word, um, without it being just thrush with lament. And I mm-hmm. think in terms of discipleship and ministry, our people are in lament. Yeah, we just need to acknowledge that sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like the adage about preaching. If you're preaching to hurting people, you'll always have an audience. Mm-hmm. Well, that should tell us something. It should tell yeah. us something about who we're talking to right. when we speak and and that, all again, our hope is set against the backdrop of pain, mm-hmm. right? And, and that the, the problem of the universe is ultimately a, a moral, painful problem.
0: Mm.
1: And we we have to give this room in, in the expression of our Christian faith.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think I asked earlier, how do we inject, how do we re-inject lament yeah. into discipleship? And I think um, I was sitting in uh, Bridge City Coffee yesterday reading um, Eugene Peterson, and he has this bit about, um, uh, it's not his bit, but it's just he's talking about it. Um, he's commenting on like dio Divina, and he's saying that we are invited to be participants in Scripture, in the Word of God. Um, physically not right. just ideologically yeah but that if like we can't pick and choose we can't choose to be a participant in the resurrection of christ without choosing to be a participant in the crucifixion of christ yeah and i was like eugene yeah. what um and i had that thought and i was like i have to write this down uh what is going on yeah. um, it was one of those moments um and it was just uh yeah, and so many people have said so many things akin to that. Like you, you cannot um, you cannot acknowledge the risen Christ without losing sight of the crucified Christ or, or right. whatever yeah. way you're going to recapitulate yeah. that. Um, I think that is so true, and I think that um, my tendency toward the mystic and the contemplative life and, and that sort of side of things, if that's even the proper language, is, um, does a disservice to the vocalization of those groans Mm -hmm. discernible or not Mm -hmm. um and yeah i i I realize how young i am uh painfully sometimes and how uh spiritually and in faith and physically as well and how little of life and lament i have um experienced Yet at the same time, I see that, man, for some people, for me, even sometimes getting like a D on a paper that just feels it's never happened to you, Luke, <laughs> like that's just, you know what I mean? It's the mm-hmm. it's that's what it is for some people. And for some right. people, it's your dad dies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, I think, yeah. like you said, acknowledging that our people are lamenting, yeah. um, is a huge thing, and and whatever they're lamenting for is not always the most important thing. Um, maybe it's never the the most important thing, but it might point to the more yeah, yeah, thing. of course, yeah. What you're talking about is not far
1: from like what we might call an Irenaean the- theodicy, where Irenaeus had this idea of our experience of suffering as a soul-making function. Mm-hmm. And while I think we could identify problems in his approach, as in contradistinction to Augustine's, you know, privation of the good and these kinds of yeah. things. Nonetheless, there, there is something to what Irenaeus had to say, hmm. right? Like you and I would not sit at this table and talk about uh, the times in our lives where we grew close to God, so to speak, or when things were great.
2: Hmm. No,
1: our stories are the opposite of that. Right, right. And Irenaeus even had this thing about him where he would describe Adam and Eve in the garden as being childish hmm. and their response to God in the fall. Like the fall itself is them being ch- Like, Who would make – yeah. they're they're being children, God comes after them, what do they do? They run and hide. Mm-hmm. They're childish. God catches them and he accuses them, what do they do? They blame each other. They're, <laughs> they're, they're acting like three-year-olds, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, there, there's something to that. And, and yet it's it's it, it, it's through, mm. uh, but this is our story, right, mm-hmm. um, that I I can say even in my faith, I've been very childish at times, mm. and even my own story, like, man, growing up. I. May may not relate to this at all. Going through, I had two like perennial sins. One was uh, I was lazy. Mm. Um, I was a smart kid who could get by with, by the skin of my teeth, so that's mm. that's what I did. Secondly, this is the undertone of it is I was I was entitled. I was the good kid mm. from a good family. I deserved good mm. things, right? Yeah. And what burned those out of me was like frankly nearly dying in an automobile when I'm 22. That mm. I and don't hear me. I don't want to say that was the best thing that ever happened to me. No, it was positively terrible. Yeah, right. right it was. Right. 13 surgeries and 18 months of recovery. And mm. still to this day, my hip always hurts. I mean, all this stuff, right? But you know what since then? What I've not struggled with? Laziness and mm. entitlement, mm. right? And there is, I think the New Testament rings in this way, yeah, right? Oh, it is yeah. through these sufferings. It is right. through these the, the, the experience of the darkness. It is, it is through right. sufferings. For the gospel, yes, but also sufferings in ourselves as we as we face the own death that's in us. Yeah, that somehow that is formative to life in Christ. I have died mm. and my life is hidden with Christ and God. And I can't find my life hidden with Christ and God until I've acknowledged I'm a dead man. Mm.
0: and even the Old Testament rings with that as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. Just think you yeah. saying your hip always hurts reminded me of Jacob. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when he's he always um, limped. Yeah, yeah. When he is uh like he's super mad because his brother is, like, hot on his tail. And yeah. he thinks that his Esau is about to kill him. But Esau is, right. like, just trying to be like, hey, dude, it's yeah, been a while. Come on. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, how's dad? Right. That's, That's tough. Yeah. Um, but and so he's like, I need to take a nap. I need to go to bed. So he goes to bed and he wakes up in the middle of the night. And there's this guy coming up to him. Yeah. I think he probably thought it was Esau. Yeah. So he just goes and tackles him. Yeah. Doesn't even give him a chance to say anything. He realizes it's not Esau. Yeah. He says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Yeah. It's God. Yeah. God's losing the fight, so he punches Jacob in the crotch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he never
0: walks straight again. <laughs> never walks straight again. And that and also after he punched him in the crotch, stood over him and said, Your name's Israel now. Right. By the way. Yeah. And also, I'm still gonna bless you. Yeah. Um Yeah, Jacob yeah. thought he won,
1: only to realize that he didn't really win. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And the creation of God's people <laughs> right. is wrought with Genesis. It's yeah. it's the lament of Genesis. Yeah. Um and you cannot have the the man of Jesus Christ without the the his genealogy, without the line, without right. the Davidic line, and without the line from Abraham, yeah. there's no man right. named Jesus and, of Nazareth, and a man of sorrows. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think that's that's it. That's where we end. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> um, man, thank you so much. This thank was such you, a Luke. good one. Yeah. Um, I think I learned more than I contributed, and that's good. Yeah, I, I yeah. definitely think I learned more than I contributed as well. Um, yeah. This, uh, like I told you, I mean, I. We sat down with no notes, nothing, um, and just kind of riffed and, uh, what you just heard happened. <laughs> um, it did. Yes. But yeah, thank you. I, thank I, you, I can't believe that I hadn't, uh, thought of you before, uh, Meredith was like, oh, you should have Dr. Fuller on. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for listening to this episode. Um, it was, uh, uh, I was going to say a fun one. It wasn't quite a fun one, but it was, a, it was a good one and it was, it was, it was fun. It was a little fun. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. i see you, um next time with whichever one it's going to be. Um, Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Teach Us to Pray podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and share it with your friends. We hope this conversation was helpful to you and to your practice of prayer. If you missed any of the other ones, you can go back and listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you back here next week with a new guest and a new topic. Thanks again, bye.